Hello, you're listening to Notes. Today, Mapate reads five notes from his phone. Mapate Diop is the founder of Diop, a Detroit-based fashion brand making West African-inspired streetwear. I found Mapate on Instagram when I was looking for a mask, and I, I just like fell in love with the patterns and the colors and all that stuff. And then I went on their website and read their about page, and I was blown away. It was the first time I ever liked an about page. And then he has all these really cool views on appropriation and quote unquote, who can wear their stuff. Um, the answer is everybody, but he has very good reasons for it. So I had to have him on and oh, holy moly, he's so smart and well-spoken and, and so cool. I'm very excited for this episode. You're going to like it. Um, that's it. Leave a review of the show on Apple podcasts, please. Number one. Uh, June 6th, 2020, at 1.12 a.m. Uh, R, uh, D, like R&D, uh, Every Man a Menace, Patrick Hoffman, Liberation Through Yearning, Richard Russell, uh, Getting Away With It, Richard Lester and Steven Soderbergh, uh, The Circuit, Rowan Ricardo Phillips, 300 Arguments, Sarah Manguso, Seeing is forgetting the name of the thing one sees. Lawrence Wexler, uh, The Guns of August, Barbara Tuckman, Memoirs, Ulysses Grant, Great Contemporaries, Winston Churchill, Permanent Record, Mary H.K. Choi, and uh, uh, The Wretched of the Earth, France Fanon. And that's the note. Are those books or movies uh those are books books are you gonna read those uh hopefully uh i've ordered uh maybe half of them uh, some are new some are old some i have to get shipped from my parents house some are yeah. in storage um oh yeah some are uh to read and then others are to reread uh, for example, uh, the circuit uh, I kind of skimmed. It's a pretty short book, mm-hmm. um, but I'd like to sit, sit back with it again. And then I've stopped and started with uh, every man of minutes. It's um, not, so it's, yeah, it's a combination of all the, of all those things. It sounded like a lot of nonfiction, like history and stuff. Uh, there is, but uh, there is there is a lot there, but there is also some fiction on there, and it also tends to be a lot of creative nonfiction. So it's uh, it's uh, it's it's nonfiction, but it's all sort of very writerly. Uh, right. as like a word is like there's a lot of creativity and a lot of um, nuance and applied to the writing. It's not just you know very straight or very dry, with the exception of you know the memoirs. Yeah, I get that. It's like like prose poetry or something, where it's uh you know, yeah, it's nonfiction. What um what makes you want to read the circuit again? Uh, what book is that? So the circuit, the circuit, it's a really uh, interesting book. It's um, the circuit is um, it's a, basically it's this writer who follows uh, the global, he follows uh, the global tennis tour, the ATP, mm-hmm. uh, around the world. Tennis is one of my favorite sports to read about, and I thought it was a very interesting way to structure. Uh, the game. I think when you, when you think about sports and writing about sports, people most great sports books, and I think people both in sports and people who are in literature will tell you it's normally 
uh, about sports like boxing or like horse racing sure mostly because it's like very clear like protagonist antagonist mano a mano man and beast <laughs> right. it's it's those are very literary quote-unquote sports um and, right. and a lot of great writing you'll read about sports is about you know boxers or about horse races and things like that but tennis is and basketball is really coming into its own i actually think basketball is a lot of very, very good literature really and soccer is hit and miss but tennis sneakily actually has a lot of really good writing and a lot of tracks a lot of very very good writers and very serious writers hmm. i think it, part, yeah it's also like you know basketball is a really a complicated sport to write about there's so much going on <laughs> Absolutely. And, and tennis is pretty old and like, it's also very global. So right. it's, it's easy to, it's pretty easy for like a very wide audience to grasp whereas basketball has a lot more nuance. Mm. What do you think you said you were saying like, I've never heard someone say that more books are about boxing and, and uh, what did you say? Boxing and horse racing. Why do you think those are so much more popular? It's not necessarily that they're more popular. I, mm. It's more that more great books, so quote unquote, great books. Oh. So if you were, so for example, if you were to pick up uh, a romance novel, and and I'm I'm gonna stick strictly to the English language here. If you were to pick a sure. romance novel and say, okay, what are the great English romance novels? Someone would probably give you some Shakespeare, maybe some Jane Austen, things like that. Or if they say, what are the great, you know, war novels? They'll say they'll give you some Hemingway or they'll give you something else. When you ask people what are the great sports books, apart from Halberstam's Stam's Breaks of the Game, it's most likely going to be about horse racing or boxing. Uh, like Secretariat or something. Yeah, Secretariat or something. Also, like it also is a kind of a historical thing, is that like horse racing, boxing, maybe some baseball, those sports used to be way more popular in the back when people read a lot more. Mm. And there was this idea of the great American novel. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas sports are, sports are really, sports are at the most popular now that they've ever been, but people are reading a lot less than they used to. Right. right. So it's not necessarily that books about horse are super popular. Cause if you go to the sports section, there's books about every sport. But when you say like, Oh, if you like, just wanted to casually read something that was like really, really, really good writing, or whenever there are serious writers and they want to tackle sports, those are the sports they tend to gravitate to. Um, like Hunter S. Thompson writing about the Kentucky Derby uh, or Kirk Vonnegut writing about uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers. Like the sure. all serious, so-called serious writers will always gravitate towards more older, you know, pastime kind of sports. Sure. So. F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby was published on this day in 1925. And as a good English major, as a good literature video blogger, and as a good American, I found it necessary to acknowledge that today. I first read Gatsby my freshman year of college. Unlike most students I know who grew up in the U.S., I didn't read it in high school, and I'm kind of glad I didn't. I don't think I could have appreciated themes like reinventing yourself, trying on new identities, falling in love with the idea of a person, trying to fit in somewhere you have no experience being, unless I had already had those few months of college experience behind me. I think, too, that it teaches a really important lesson that most of us learn in our late adolescence, whether at college or not, which is that it's really easy to read into somebody what you'd like to get out of them. It's easy to project onto a person the ideals and the dreams and the fears that you have within yourself to not see what's actually there in favor of what you wish were. And I think we have to be careful not to do that with the novel itself. This is taught in schools as the great American novel. It's talked about in criticism as the great American novel, it's sold in bookstores as the number one classic bestseller. But what's important is your relationship with this book. 
not your relationship with the idea of the American novel or the idea of the Great Gatsby or the myth of F. Scott Fitzgerald. Some people find this book incredibly boring. Some people find the prose weird and sort of stilted. Some people find the characters two-dimensional. Some people feel that Gatsby kind of deserves what he gets. And that is allowed. That is okay. Reading is about forging a relationship with the text over time. It's about giving a book a chance, understanding it through historical or biographical or critical lenses, and revisiting it over the course of your life to see what is and is not important to you versus last time. Because a text isn't just words on a page bound in a book and put on a shelf. It's an ongoing relationship with a caring reading public. You know, do you, do you ever adapt things to like a more popular taste? Uh, n never really. No. Um, mostly because I'm not making this for me. Um, it's right. for other people. Uh, and they're the real driving factor behind it. Um, so we, we, and also there's, I mean, there's a lot of sort of consumer psychology at play. So for example, people will talk about how they like a lot of colors, but um, your basic, you know, your neutrals, your blacks, your whites, your grays, your navies, those still will end up outselling everything two to one or three to one. <laughs> people like colors and people like that they exist, yeah. but it's the same reason why when you look around, almost like 90% of cars are the same three colors. Um, <laughs> which kind of speaks to this idea that like people people don't necessarily want more choices. They just want fewer choices with better confidence. And that's what right. we try to give them. That's what we try to give them. You know, we don't tell, and which is, you know, people ask us, what's the best? I mean, like, well, what's the best is what you think is the best. It, it, mm. what, how I feel about it is really neither here nor there. Um, and again, which just really speaks to our point that, like, we, we make it, but they're the ones who give it the meaning. Because um, people, people ask me all the time, you know, are your clothes meaningful to people? Are they this? Are they that? And I always have to tell them, you're asking the wrong person. Oh. Like, I didn't, I didn't make this for me. Right. Right, yep. right. They like they ask you for the interpretation of what the patterns mean. Is what you're saying? Yeah. Well, everything. They'll ask for the interpretation. They'll ask why these patterns. They'll ask, you know, which of the bestsellers they'll try and sort of they right. they have that impulse to quantify it or qualify it or do all these things, which is perfectly fine. It's just I'm the wrong person to ask. It's like like when an artist makes work. Not that I'm comparing myself to one, but when an artist makes work, the interpretation of it belongs to you. It's not theirs anymore. Once the artist made. Right, right. Do you feel? I feel like that idea of owning your own interpretation of something is kind of fading. Do you feel like that? Yeah, uh, of only because the idea of only because distributing it has never been easy. It's never been easier to get an idea or present something to right. someone. It's never been easier to present it to a large audience with no prior like. Like you don't need a bunch of different, you just stick something on the internet or you can stick something somewhere and it can reach a lot of people. So yeah, I, I will say, but I think that's more, that's not anyone's sort of fault. I just think it's more the culture catching up with the technology. Cause there's always a lag between like what our technological capabilities and then what we do culturally. Mm -hmm. And then the culture itself has to adapt and change and find uses for the technology. Um, and yeah, this is, this is strictly just us catching up to just how, just how, uh, the scale the, the of the tools we have at our disposal. But yes, I agree with you. Number two, mm -hmm. uh, redecorating re uh, May 18th, 2020, 2.32 p.m. Uh, 
Rita Rita Overheads by Sonic Editions, Naguchi Akari One and Light, OXO Adjustable Kettle, Santa Maria Novella Potpourri Bag, Astier de Vilat Ayama Incense Box, Sonos One SL, Gossamer Dusk. Oh, and that's a note. New stuff. Uh, new stuff, uh, a little bit of art in there, some furniture, mostly just art objects. Um, because of the quarantine, I found, uh, like, with this changing of the season, it would, is a nice time to uh, redecorate, you know, and uh, really refresh, uh, really try to uh, refresh the space. Uh, yeah. Really make it feel new. Um, I feel very fortunate. I mean, I grew up, I grew up in New York. I grew up pretty much in a shoebox. <laughs> Um, as it were so i'm very like not sensitive per se but i'm not someone who like needs more space like right. when i ever since i've not lived at home um it's always been like i'm used to living very economically sharing a bathroom i don't mind any of that stuff mm -hmm. um and i'm not someone who personally like needs to have more sh again i don't need to have more stuff i don't need more choices right um so i have i feel like i have a very appropriate amount of space right now and so um, at a time in which uh, I think people are feeling a real sense of displacement and like a real, you know, lack of control, um, I think uh, being able to, you know, really own your space and, 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 you know, play with it a little bit and move things around and see how you feel, um, I think is like a really, it's a really good way to not just, it's a really good way not just, you know, to keep things fresh and stay on your toes, but also a really good way of kind of coming home to yourself and kind of controlling what you can control. Um, so this is stuff yeah. that uh, I've either re recently purchased or I'm about to purchase um, and put in my room and around our apartment. Um, that list used to be a lot longer because we bought a lot of plants. We got some furniture, got some stuff yeah. for our kitchen, got some stuff for our bathroom. Um, but yeah, that's some stuff that's either under consideration or stuff to look at or stuff to buy. Right. This you're so thoughtful about this. <laughs> How, um, what are the kinds of stuff that you like to surround yourself around with? Um, I don't know. I what kind of stuff? Um, maybe like maybe colors. Start with colors first. Um, I don't. There's not one specific kind of color. Hmm. I mean, I mean, I. I it's funny as my. It has a lot of colorful clothes, but I think I hew mostly to like if I look at like my bed frame or I look at these two sitting tape, these two sitting chairs I have, or this small mm -hmm. desk or my nightstand, those are all black. But when I look at everything else on the walls and stuff, has colors. Um, so I really like I think I like a strong anchor and like a strong sort of base right. to work from, and then I can then fill the space with other things that have like a lot more personality. Um, I think. The way in which I look at rooms is like I, I want objects in there that I don't have to think about or like I essentially don't see when I walk in mm -hmm. uh, and then that I feel like it allows me the platform to be creative with things that I do see or the things I do want to draw attention to. Mm. It's like it sounds like you have such a strong instinct for that like you're so self-aware about it. Where, where do you think that instinct of like trusting your mind's eye came from? Oh, just, uh, I don't know. I just like, I think I spent, um, I mean, I'm the youngest of three, but my older sister went to boarding school and then my older brother, um, there's a bit of an age gap between us. So I spent a lot of time alone as a kid mm -hmm. and the two 
and what you learn is essentially how to entertain yourself pretty much like if there's no one else around or if there's no one to dialogue with like you learn like you know what would i do you essentially figure out like what would i do if no one was around um, right and a lot of a lot of being an adult and that's actually something you end up doing a lot as much less as a kid because you have a lot less control over your time and your space but that's something you actually do quite a bit as an adult is what do i do if no one's around and so that's kind of where sort of where that impulse comes from is like i know that i know in the long run like it's not necessarily i'll be happier or like more productive i'll just know like i'll wake up like on a day i'm not too feeling too well i'll wake up and i'll find it like less objectionable if there are all these crazy colors and all these things uh, i impulse bought on a whim in my in my in my space right so you you're it's like you're rigging like, the space for yourself yeah it's like there's just enough stuff in there to like stimulate me but then there's also just like not enough stuff in there for me like not to notice or not have to pay attention to anything oh like i'm really i'm really trying to be like mindful of like my own sort of like cognitive load and how much i have it is i have to think about certain things yeah your cognitive load yeah there's um this is reminding me of like i i i really like interviews and i watch a lot of like interviews with musicians and artists or whatever writers and there's always this question that people ask of like what's your process and for so long i've been watching those interviews thinking like how do i incorporate their process into my thing or whatever blah and what you're reminding me of is i i just had this thought which was i have to find mine like listen to my process respond to me and then one day someone will be like, what do you do? And then it'll be totally unhelpful to them because they're not me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, I know that every author has their own writing process. Um, what or who serves as inspiration for you? And do you have any weird rituals that you do while you're writing? Um, I mean, I have a lot of weird rituals <laughs> because I have OCD. So um, like a lot of people uh, who live with OCD, I have some some compulsions that, uh, that I... I uh, use or struggle with, depending on how you construct it. Um, but as far as my uh, writing inspirations, I mean, my biggest inspiration for, I am very, very lucky as a writer to um, have many uh, readers in my life, like readers I can connect to through Twitter or Tumblr or YouTube or whatever, um, so that I can you know, read their comments and their posts about what interests them and what's um, what's difficult for them, what they care about, uh, how they care about it, and um, that's my biggest inspiration is, is uh, that community of readers um, and, and the people who view the videos that I make with my brother. Um, but I'm also inspired by other, other writers. I think I have a, I read a lot, I love reading, and I think reading is kind of the best apprenticeship that we have as, as writers. It's how we figure out how people have used language to make stories live inside of people's heads and. So those are those are big inspirations for me. I guess my weirdest um, quirk uh, in terms of like rituals is that I uh, I have a keyboard quirk. I, I switch keyboards every draft, and then if there's a problem, if something isn't going well, I throw out the keyboard and no. it with a different keyboard. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. So do you still have keyboards? This? Are only like what five, when five it goes bucks. Well. Well, then I keep the keyboard. Does it go on the wall? No, 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 no. Like I have, like this is the looking for Alaska <laughs> keyboard. Paper towns. Paper towns. What, what, what's one thing that gets in the way of your cognitive load, and then one thing that, like, helps or relieves the burden? Oh, what's one thing that gets in the way? Well, clutter. Uh, I think. 
I, right. I really do think if you keep it, not keep it, if you keep a space organized and it can look disorganized to someone else, that's not kind of the point, but as long as it's, it's organized to you, mm-hmm. I think that helps for better for organization and like for knowing where everything is. Um, so like I can, I can respect when you see someone's house and they're like, sorry, it's a mess. It's like, no, it's, it's organized to you. Right. Like this is, <laughs> this is, this is, this is, it means it's your house and that's, what's important. It's not that it's a house is that it's your house. And I'm most right. Um, and then what helps is, uh, what helps is, what helps is, I think, again, just like a sense of economy and a sense of proportion. You don't really need that. You don't really, no one really needs that much stuff, mm-hmm. but the stuff you do have should, and, and this isn't like related to price or this isn't related to quality or any of those things. The stuff you do have should help you feel more like yourself. Uh, number three, uh, Condesa uh december 27th 2019 at 5:10 p.m. we're taught at such an early age to be against the communists yet most of us don't have the faintest idea of what communism is only a fool lets somebody else tell him who his enemy is um so this was actually this was um a quote, I think it's a piece of, it was either a piece of graffiti or it was, it was either a piece of graffiti or an inscription somewhere. Uh, I, this is from when I was in Mexico City. Hmm. And so I think I was outside of, I was outside of a museum or some sort of building and I noticed that quote. Um, and I was thinking, and I was, and, um, and, uh, well, what is communism? It's, uh, you know, I studied political science in school. So it's a time, it's something I spent a lot of time laboring over trying to explain. Um, but I remember I went to, I went to, it was my first vacation in two years. I went to Mexico City with a bunch of friends, um, in December and it, I had a fantastic time. Um, but I remember feeling conflicted, um, just as an American, uh, going to Mexico City and having a good time and seeing all of the issues they face there and really trying to, and really just understanding the relationship between America and Mexico right, um, right. and that, its complications. Um, and I think that's sort of what, and I and I keep thinking of and going into it, I kept thinking about that famous quote that um, poor Mexico, so so far from God, yet so close to the United States, um, because everything that was essentially enjoyable about Mexico was in part because of what the United States had done to the country, and so I'm and so I was, yeah, um, I was in their space instead of you know sitting here and thinking about Mexico, I was in their space for the first time of being open to their interpretation of what the U.S.-Mexican relationship is and seeing right. how complicated it is. And that was, and of course, that's the beauty of traveling somewhere, but then that's also the weight of traveling somewhere. And and um, I don't, I wouldn't call it a responsibility, um, but really trying to step into someone else's shoes and kind of understand the vantage point from which they see the world. Right. Was that, was that one of the first times or the first time that you had that, like, eye-opening experience of like whoa this is a different way to look at the world you know uh, i have it every time I, I leave my house which is to say I go <laughs> that isn't where i live that's just every day when i'm you go to you go to the where whenever i'm going whether it's going to another country or whether it's just going around the corner to get coffee or check my mail i feel that way when i leave my house um like i'm like oh this is wasn't this wasn't as I left it <laughs> right? <laughs> or this is slightly different or this is, or people are moving through this space differently. I think travel 
really recontextualizes it because it's so different than your ordinary routine and you're in mm-hmm. a place that's unfamiliar and you're you're learning as you're going like you're mm-hmm. you're sort of creating the narrative as you're also being exposed to it um but i, I just generally feel like that's just how that's just i guess my approach to like looking at the world and, and trying to be sort of more open-minded and curious mm. yeah i mean there's a lot of like just you deciding to let it in you know to learn something new you know if yeah. you're learning from travel and from going to the store you know yeah and and it really comes from a place of once you learn things the real the key thing you the key thing you learn is you learn how little it is you actually know and having the humility and not necessarily having humility but taking that doubt and making it constructive of being like oh the world is such a vast place um much of it knowable much of it unknowable and i'm just kind of one point there um and right. and you, you really learn to sort of take it as it comes, and it, it and it and I, I personally, I mean, other people in the industry, I personally think it should be humbling, um, and it should, and in a way, it should be comforting, you know, is that there's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of things I don't know, um, but I have, as a young person, it's like you have time, and this is why they tell you young people to travel so much, is like as a young time, as a young person, you have time to learn. Yep. I saw this book that it was called Too Much to Know. And it was just about how there's, there's, we live in the information age and there's just so much information. There's so many things that we can't possibly be an expert in all of them. Like, what do you do? What do you do with that in that situation where you feel like, um, well, how am I, how am I going to phrase this into a question? Um, what, yeah, how, what do you do with that feeling of like, I, I can't know all the things, <laughs> you know, there's going to be a day where, uh, well, well, how do I say it? Like, if you, 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 I'm sure you have your own political beliefs. Like, how do you hold on to them without this endless pit of what if I could keep learning stuff and then totally change my own uh, worldview? Um, well, the answer to your own question is you don't hold on to them. And that you have to give yourself the space to be wrong and to grow and to learn. Um, right. And I actually disagree with the premise of what that person is saying. Uh, there's always been uh, a lot of information which changes your ability to access it, which means the important thing isn't knowing things. It's knowing how to think critically and evaluate the information. Um, it's, it's about how you process the information? It's about how you process it. It's about how you evaluate it. It's about how you weigh it. It's about how you weigh the new information. It's not the information itself. It's how you choose to look at it. There's a lot of information out there. I can promise you, there's also plenty of stuff you don't need to look at or pay any attention. (laughs) While information overload may seem like the result of today's technology, the invention of the printing press fueled its own share of anxiety. 16th century scholars complained there was just too much information to absorb from all those new things called books. Uh, Historically speaking, as we suggested in the intro, we may think this is a a 21st century phenomenon, but it's not. Help us fill in the blanks on why it isn't. Well, it turns out it doesn't take that much. It doesn't take, you know, petabytes of information to make us, an individual human, feel overloaded. And we get this articulation even before printing, but really, I would say around 1500, so 500 years ago, starts a constant refrain of complaining about too many books. Too many books to read them all, too many books to find the books you want to read. 
And uh, it just, it starts, let's say, for example, with the great humanist Erasmus, uh, who is complaining about these swarms of new books that glut men's minds <laughs> and will prevent them from reading the good stuff. In other words, people will get, you know, fill up on all the new bad books and then will fail to read the ancient authors, which is what he considers the good books. So everyone in this complaint mode has a judgment generally about too many bad books. And of course, often they're complaining in print in a, another book about the solution to the problem. They are writing a good book. So you have to, the overall answer to this is you've got to be easier on yourself. Right. Everybody's got to be easier on themselves. Mm. And, and everyone, I mean, I'm going to make this um, this sounds kind of glib, but like everyone has their heuristics when it comes to like evaluating information. Like, mm -hmm. for example, one example would be when I need help with something. Yeah. And it's, it's for me, for, I mean, and this kind of speaks to running a business. The tough part about running a business isn't necessarily, well, the tough part is that it's pretty simple. It's like not that hard. And that's kind of what makes it tough is the things you have to do pretty simple. But what's right. tough is you don't know what it, you don't know what you don't know. It's not, I have all these questions and I need answers. It's I'm asking the right questions. That's the doubt that comes from running a business. Mm -hmm. So when you when I ask, so when we go to ask for help, the thing we always ask ourselves is, am I asking this person something I can Google? Right. Yeah. Is it because if I can Google it, not only does it mean that it's more easily available, it means someone else has had this issue and I can solve this problem on my own. Mm -hmm. And and just as important as solving the problem is me learning the process of problem solving and having this tool in my arsenal and really refining my research and my information skills. Right. And that's going, that's lending to what you're saying about um, um, focusing on how you process information rather yeah. than all the getting all of it. Absolutely. And I, and when I reach out to people, I make it clear I'm only reaching out to them because I, because they were the only people because I couldn't find the information anywhere else. Otherwise, I wouldn't need their time. Right. And you're, you're, you're like respecting their time as well. Yeah, and I'll put it in the however they like it. If they want to do it over the phone, over text, I'll put it in entirely in the email. I'll say, mm -hmm. I'm looking for X, Y, and Z. I've ruled out A, B, and C. Uh, I'm considering one, two, and three. You have expertise in this juncture. Um, I'm looking for answer to these questions. And if you can't do that, and I'll also say, if you can't do that, do you know someone or somewhere who can? So I'll lay it out for them in very, very plain English. Mm. It's not perfect because, you know, there are some things that are unknowable and there are some things that are too big. Um, but I think that's, that's served us pretty well, especially as far as, like, getting things that are actually helpful. Right. Um, so this, I, I hope this isn't, like, too big of a question, but not at all. Uh, can you think of one thing that, like, a question that's on your mind that you can't Google that... You, you want to ask somebody? It's, I mean, it's, it's just, I mean, it's always, and I guess this is the kind of question I'm trying to answer with my work is just, where are we going? Hmm. It's a confluence as well. It's just you know, it's a lot of different questions. It's just where are we going? Everything is basic. Is like, you know, when is this crisis going to end? When will there be a vaccine? What will things look like next year? To 
you know, what, what changes are we facing right now that are cyclical? What changes are we facing that are structural? Um, how do you, when, if, change, if change is the only constant, but the change we're seeing now is even more rapid than the change before, how do you manage that? How do you right. take care of yourself? Where are we going is essentially the encapsulation of all those questions. And you can't Google it. Everyone's just figuring it out on their own. Number four, this is groceries. This is June 22nd, June 26th, 2020 at 11.10 a.m. And the note is toothpaste, socks. Well, the note is titled groceries and then toothpaste, socks. <laughs> That's a short list. Yeah, pretty simple. Pretty self-explanatory. I need to buy some toothpaste and I need more socks. Yeah. What does um what does representation mean to you? Um hmm. representation is like a it's like an aperitif. It's like an appetizer. I'm sorry? I said representation is like an it's like an aperitif or like an appetizer. Oh. It just lets me know what's coming. It lets you know what's coming? Yeah. It's 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 I think people I think it's easy to treat it as the thing and it's important, like it's there, um, but it's it's the place you start, not the place you end. Whoa. Yeah. I hear that. I definitely hear that. I mean we we struggle with a lot of similar things no matter who's around or who's in power. Um mm-hmm. but those people certain people having power and not having power. It, reveal, it further reveals the dynamic. But like I said, now it's a question of once we know what the dynamic is, what do we intend to do about it? Right. So I was, yeah, so I see like representation, like to bring it back to the metaphor, it's like, oh, if we're, if we're going out for a meal and you know, you're being seated and you need water or you need bread or, you know, you're ordering stuff for the table. Like, mm-hmm. oh, the representations, there's the people who are at the table. Now we can talk. Mm. Um. Do you view... You said you studied political science. Do you yeah. view um, your business as a move toward like direct political action? Because no. I, I'm I'm no, saying that because I do because I view a lot of art. I view a lot of like representational art as political. Like, like I talked about it already. But the Miles Morales uh, Spider Man Into the Spider Verse movie. Yeah. Like I think when people make inten- intentional decisions like that, mm-hmm. it's. Um, just as meaningful as as like um well i don't want to say it now in this context but i was going to say a protest but um it's not as serious uh but 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 it's just as meaningful as giving like a speech on the on the topic you know or writing a book on the topic i understand that um but i don't uh i don't at all um and that just comes from my own political sort of orientation you know branch uh our political companies are political um but i don't really believe they have politics most of the biggest companies and designed to do one thing and that's profit right. and that's a very limited and which is a very which i think for a good reason is a very limited set of things um i sound kind of funny i sound ridiculous when i say it but i'm always trying to draw a point and people would hate when i make this point but i'm like delta holding a Delta Airlines, for example, holding a gay pride parade is not fundamentally different than Chick-fil-A donating money to uh, conversion therapy and, like foundations or anti-gay charities. Those are the same thing. 
Wait, can you say that again? I said like a company is sponsoring a gay float at a pride parade. Yeah. Is the same thing as a company donating to an anti-LGBTQ, you know, foundation or charity. Right, right, right. In the sense, what, uh, what do you mean? In what sense? They're the same in that uh, they wouldn't do it if their if their if their customers cared if their customers cared enough they put a stop to it but they don't like Chick fil A like people who use Chick fil A are fine with the fact that they donate to anti gay charities just as right. people who fly Delta are fine with the fact they because the whole point is like they do they they do what the customer wants like it's yes. not it's not that Delta is liberal or Chick fil A is conservative they both have the same viewpoint which is we exist to make money and this helps us make money. Mm, so you view them as as empty statements i don't view them as empty statements i just think like they're not not empty they're they're just statements and that people often mistake what companies exist to do and what they're designed to do um and part of that is because people think people think activism are easy people think it's just something you you put out a statement that like no it's hard and professionals do that and businesses are designed to do a very very narrow set of things um and I think people very much over-index on what businesses can and can't do. No, I think there are steps that businesses can take politically, and I think there are steps businesses can take ethically to, for mm-hmm. a better world as far as you know, sustainability and fair wages and paying your taxes and paying people and doing what you say you're going to set out to do. Right. But as far as like political change, I never look at – businesses can't vote. Right. As much as we like to joke that like, oh, like corporations are people and like money is speech. That's not – money is not speech. Corporations can't vote, and you right. shouldn't. And just because you know your local NBA team wants to turn the arena into a polling place does not mean that their politics align with yours. They want you to keep rooting for the team. That's their goal. Sure. And that's not me being cynical. That's just like that's 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 why we organize things. This is why we organize businesses in, in these ways. Yeah, it, it it literally keeps them alive. Yes, and people yeah. are. I think people are too often irresponsible when they re- want to rely on businesses to do. Like people want to buy their politics, essentially, and that's partially our fault as businesses because we've told people you can buy anything. Politics are the one thing you can't buy. Mm. Well, you can. Politicians can be bought, and there are political things inherent within them. But yeah, you. Some I really wish some people would ask as much of their public officials and people who are elected to serve them as they do of the businesses, and that they were held to <laughs> as high a standard. That's a really good. So point. I do not, and so because people ask us all the time, you know, why don't we publish more about this and about that and about this and about that? And the first thing I'll tell them is, you know, the information on the ground changes a lot, and you'd rather leave this sort of thing to the experts. But also to remind people, like we sell shirts on Instagram. If you're looking to us, for, if you're looking to us, if you're looking to us for political, like you're 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 down bad. Like you're better. Like like we can give you tools and resources, but right. you need to take the initiative here. And like right. you, not only do you need to be kinder to yourself, like you're the one who needs to take initiative. I can't spoon feed it for you. That's such a good point. Yeah. Why? Why? Why do you think it's so much easier for? Well, what what it sounds like what you're saying is like people have a tendency to ask their businesses more harshly than they ask their local representatives or or officials or just people who whose job it is to do those things or to pay attention to have those conversations. Well, why, I'm. I, I'm saying that people ask everyone except their local politicians or elected officials. Right. Celebrity, yeah. Right. Celebrities, um, right. people in their lives. I, mean, I think that applies universally to everyone. I think the reason businesses get it is because people, a lot of people's most common interactions 
with people mm-hmm. who aren't their immediate family or with businesses or their their foremost relationships in their lives or with the things they own or the things they purchase. So naturally, people are people are naturally curious. You know, what are the politics of this thing, or what are the politics of the people who make this thing? Like, right? It's like you're saying, like they're around. They're the ones closest to you. Yeah, and my point is, like, you know, there are liberal people and conservative. People. There's all manner of people who work at businesses, but like, their politics is really neither here nor there. The business is the business. Right. Huh. That's that's a lot. What um so um I once said I'm hearing like apolitical business, like businesses that are apolitical are, um, sounds like an ideal to you. And then I, I also, no. but then I also brought uh read on your website like the things about appropriation and and the history of of the patterns and the colors and like that's what really drew me to the brand. And I was like, oh, this is a very like active brand, you know so i mean i disagree with your first thing um okay. also like being apolitical is a, it, itself a fundamentally conservative political viewpoint and not one i subscribe to like Whoa. people who okay. pe- people who want to be apolitical or don't want to think about politics that's conservative thinking which is fine but it, it doesn't put you above or outside politics um and really? no oh yeah 100 percent. can it, can um, you expand on that i'm really interested in that apolitical as as a conservative point well, yeah, it's, you don't want to think about politics, which means you don't want, what is politics about? Power. People who don't want to think about power often have the power or have the luxury of not having to think about power because power doesn't impact them in an adverse way. <laughs> okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Yeah. If it's, if, if, if I Status come to quo. you, yeah, if, if I come to you, and I whack you over the head. And if I come to you and say, I want to whack you over the head with a baseball bat, and what would you do? I would say no. I'd run. <laughs> cool. Now, say I have the power to, now say I have the power to whack you over the head with a baseball bat. And I come over and I come with the cops and with the lawyers and all these other people and I whack you over the head with a baseball bat. And you can't run and there's nothing you can do. Right. So now. now yeah, so it, it's not so. It's, it's people want want to do things to you. That's their problem. But if they have the power to, that is that comes to your problem. Right, right, right. And what you're saying is then that if I were the person, if I were to start speaking up and being like, "Hey, why do you why do you have the power to do that?" The person in power would then say, "Like, why are you getting all political? Yeah. Like, why are you trying yeah. to?" Yeah, yeah. Not thinking about politics is a luxury. Because politics impacts everyone. And if you don't have to think about them, that's it's, it means you don't want to think about change, and that's a privilege, and that's fundamentally conservative. Whoa, that just yeah. blew my mind. Like, I wouldn't even necessarily describe us as a... Can you hear me all right? Yeah, I can. Cool. I wouldn't even necessarily describe us as a progressive company or a company that's like... Like, that's our... What's important is that that's our point of view. Like, mm-hmm. people also tend to over-index on what exactly brands are. A brand is just a point of view. Right. We're trying to find the customers that identify with our point of view. And it's a self-selecting group, right? A conservative right. or someone who, someone who doesn't believe in cultural appropriation isn't going to wear our stuff. But I don't have to worry about them. They're not my customer. I have to worry about the people who will wear our stuff. Right. Um, huh. people, you're familiar with the idea that the customer is always right, right? Yes. So that's not doesn't literally mean 
the customer is always right. It's a tautology. It means that the it means that the existence of a customer implies desire for a product, a good, or a service. So have you ever looked at something and thought, oh, who's that for? Or who would buy this? Or oh, that's dumb. One hundred percent. The reason that thing exists is because there's a customer for it. It's just it's just not you. Yeah, yeah, it's really the, not you. Yeah. Yeah. The only reason people go to the trouble of doing that thing that seems stupid to you is because there's someone who looks at that thing and says, That's exactly what I need. Where has this been my whole life? I want that. I need that. It could be you. You know, your your views can change. Those things can change. Right. But there there literally is something out there for everybody. And it's the same thing with brands. When you say Oh, what is this brand trying to get at here? What is it? The brand isn't just trying to find any customer. The brand is trying to find their customer. They're trying to find right. their customer. And this right. is this is how we choose to find our audience. Is there are very other there are very few other brands, very few other brands in our space, or the other few companies in our space doing what we're doing, doing mm-hmm. things like saying, "Hey, here's who can wear that. Here, here's why we think everyone should be able to wear our stuff. Hey, mm-hmm. we want to talk to our customers. Hey, we want to have this model." in which we put out a limited amount of stuff. And it's not necessarily that we're innovators and we're doing something new. People ask us all the time, like, oh, how do you feel about competitors? And I tell them, I'd love, also, I think everyone deserves to have clothes that make them feel more like themselves, even if it's not ours. Because mm-hmm. if, 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 if you can replicate exactly what we do, it means we were right. And we're going to keep prospering. It means we're going to keep being around. And it means other people, it enables other people to also be around. It means we're doing our, if they're competitors, it means we're doing our job. And it means you should take our audience and you should take what we do seriously. Right. It, like you, you, you're saying like, if competitors come around, it means that we really found something important or we found 100%. something that, ah, and that's I, such a generous way that, to look at it. And I think thematically, it ties into this idea of your seven, so seven out of 10, uh, businesses fail. Nine out of ten don't exist after five years. When they look right. at companies that fail, they don't fail because of their competitors. They fail because of themselves. Like when you're in business, you're not fighting other people. You're fighting yourself. Right. You're not playing to win necessarily. You're playing to stay in the game. It's an infinite game. It's not a. Fu- it's mm-hmm. not a finite game. Mm-hmm. And that's the these these and the way in which you win finite games, you stay in the games. You build good habits. It's you know who you are. You know who you're not. You do do what's important you do what's necessary you try and do right. it as quickly as you can and you try and work and find like-minded people and this is of course this is a hard part because i make it all sound so simple but that's <laughs> very difficult that stuff's very difficult but no that's the ball game this is from june 8th at 11 54 p.m and it says shorts they do not stretch locks in the hips hikes up while running don't swing in them. Uh, deeper pockets potentially at angle. Black drawstring versus white drawstring. Four inch inseam. Yeah, that's an M. Uh, what was that? Hmm? What was it? What was? Yeah. Oh, this is a this is a little note. I was doing some. Uh, we're putting out um, our best. I don't know. It's not a best selling product, but I want to say our. Our product that has the highest approval is on shorts. And so mm-hmm. we're putting out version two of the shorts. We put out our first set last August. And so now we're putting out our second set. And so we're just doing some research and development, going back to the drawing board uh, on the new set of shorts that we make it. And so that was that was me user testing uh, a set of shorts. Oh, user testing it? 
Yeah. Oh, cool. This is how we test all of our products. You run in them? Yeah, you do everything in them. Really? Mm-hmm. What do you have like is it is it like a <laughs> is it like a user testing like stress testing exercise routine essentially like this is me walking upstairs and running or walking or reaching for something high up or low? 100%. It's everything. It's you have to consider all the creatures that someone will use your shorts for. Oh. And this is how all clothes essentially are tested. Is you think make a list of all the things someone could potentially do in them, and then you mm-hmm. go out and, do, and then you go out and do them. And that's how we know we can. Say, that's how we know we can say to someone, "Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Otherwise, you're going to destroy the garner." Right. And then that that'll affect like literally the shape of the clothing. Sometimes everything. What, can, it affects everything. There... It's not oh. just the shape of the clothing. It's the way it's constructed. It's how you market it. It's how you talk about it. It's how you help people who bought it. It's how you know who's going to buy it. It's everything. Mm. Do you think about um, like casualness and formality? No. No. Not even in the slide. <laughs> Why not? Uh, again, because I'm not the one. That's not for me to decide. That's for the customer. Ah, oh. yeah. We 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 have a very uh, different sort of sensibility with this sort of thing. But like again, you tell us how to use it. You tell us, you know, what it means to you. You decide what the best use is. Now, if you walk into a Muji, which is Japanese, and you right. say, "I need a coffee table," they'll point you to the table section, but you won't see coffee table. You'll see a table that says low table, and that's <laughs> right, an right. important that's an important distinction, because the person will tell you, yeah, this is just a low table. You can use it for coffee. You can also staple it to your ceiling. You can also throw it out <laughs> your window. You could also put your shoes on it. The entire idea right. is that they're just going to make products that last. You decide how it's used. Right. It's not. This isn't. This table was not built for coffee. This table was built for you. If you want to put coffee on it, that's up to you. That's none of our business. Do you kind of get that distinction? It's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's not prescriptive. Yeah, it's it's the idea. Of it's it's ergonomy. It's essentially ergonomy versus uh, there's a Japanese word for it, but I don't know what it is in English. The idea of making something that conforms to like there's something the idea of making something that you know conforms to your desires or mm-hmm. conforms to what you need, and then the mm-hmm. idea of making something that helps you define what you need. Mm-hmm. On some days you might want coffee. On other days you might want tea. But this thing will be this thing will be sturdy enough. This thing will be versatile enough. And we look at our clothes very much the same. Way. We tell people right. all the time not to do things with our clothes, and they go ahead and do them anyway. But it's theirs; it's not mine anymore. <laughs> I know people. Yeah. I know people who work out in our shorts. I know people who wear our masks upside down. Uh, I know people yeah. who who use someone uh, was using our mask to deliver a baby. Someone else was using uh, the bandana to wipe something off. All things I would advise against all things that definitely shorten the life of the garment but ultimately sure. i don't care if they're the ones they're the consumer they're the ones who figured out what to do with the thing if anything they're smarter and better at this than i am and they should be running this company <laughs> not me Someone... and of course if they destroy it if they destroy it i'm happy you know if they, destroy, if they destroy it i'm happy to you know return it like i'm not I'm not unhappy about those things, but again, they're the ones who it's important. It's more important for them. They're the ones who give it the meaning. Like I make things, I make things to serve that, not the other way around. 
Right. It sounds like you're making something pretty neutral. And then like the, you, well, you've said it a couple times already and I've seen, it seems to have not gotten through to me, but, <laughs> but, but, but you make things that are neutral and then the people apply whatever meaning that they want on, onto it. I prefer, I prefer more aligned or applied to neutral because they're not neutral. They have a point of view, but the idea is that this is a product that fits your lifestyle and a brand that reflects the world you live in. What those, sure. what exactly those things are, I'm not, I'm very agnostic about. They're truly neither here nor there for me. And sure. I respect you enough to tell you that up front. Uh, no, if that to you seems like neutrality, um, that's fair. Right. But I don't think, but I, striving to meet people where they're at to me is not a neutral act. Mm, aligned and abide, you said. Yes. Like, for example, um, my brand's not going to let you someone run up on you with a baseball bat. Right, right. My brand will ask, why does that person have a baseball bat in the first place? Why do mm. they think, and we're going to interrogate why they think they can do that. We're going to interrogate why you're in the position you're in to be beaten up by a baseball bat. We're going to look at the means of recourse you have. But we're not going right. to come up. We're not just going to sit there and say, hey, baseball bats are wrong. Hey, hey, all both sides. Hey, all those things. So you see how we're not exactly neutral? Right. We're doing our best to help you. I mean, you where you're at. But from all of those, but from uh, but taking into consideration all of those angles, because we think you deserve that much, and we respect you. Hmm. Wow. And that, those are political. Those are political. Those are political acts. But there's no inherent. There's no inherent politics, one way or another, to those ideas. Right, 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 right. I get what you're saying. Yes. Hmm. And so every choice you make in a brand really is just an articulation of those ideas. It, it, yeah, it's an articulation of those attitudes and also just an articulation of, well, I want to say yourself, but of the yeah. brand of like getting to know yourself. Yeah. It's like, what do we, what do we do? Mm -hmm. And that's why I heard, it says on our site, we're on a mission to help you make you feel more like yourself. We don't go into what that is. Right. That's, that's for you. That's not for us. Mm. People, heard, people, um, some people get, are unhappy because it sounds like I'm advocating responsibility. When mm -hmm. it's like, no, no, I want you, I want you to have more control. Or I want you to at least feel like you have more control. Like I want you to feel empowered. It's not about me. Right, 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 right. Hmm. Do you think like um I'm trying to think of the 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 evil twin op like the bizarre you know, Superman and Bizarro, like the opposite version of what you're mm -hmm. saying? Yeah. I'm thinking of like supreme where it's it kind of seems like it's just about them is that is that is that fair to say uh no well supreme i'd actually argue are, are more are are like us um they're just like oh, okay. a lot bigger because remember supreme started out 25 years ago uh as right. a, just a bunch of skate as a bunch of skate rats who wanted to screen print on gilded heavies and and if they're i mean the carlisle group thing aside if there's any the three things i respect most about supreme um, mm -hmm. The first is that they still are for skaters. So if you walk into any Supreme store on earth, they still carry local skate brands. Like okay. in New York, they carry Miles. You know, in LA, they carry Branded. In Paris, they carry local. So if you ever start your own skate brand and you're in New York, you can walk into the Supreme store and say, hey, can I get soft here? And they'll stop because they know who their community is. Uh, the second That's thing cool. is that, yeah, yeah, because they still do that. Um, like again, this is it's it's one of those distinctions between like the thing and the culture around the thing. Now, are there things right. they do to kind of fan that? Sure, but it's not. This is not that. This is not their do. 
uh, the sure. funny thing I really admire about them is that they take a lot of they take a they take what they do seriously. They won't print mm-hmm. Nan Golden photographs just for shits and giggles. They actually like Nan Golden, or they like obscure art and like references and things. And they introduce their audience, a lot of whom are young and don't care about that sort of stuff, to a lot of different things and a lot of things that are subversive. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Barbara mm-hmm. Kruger thing is unfortunate and regrettable, but like they ostensibly like like art and like like creativity and like to inspire those things and not and, and never and never in a high, holier than thou hoity toity kind of way. Like they're being one hundred percent serious. And also, right. like, like skaters and artists work at that shop. And, you know, it's not fashion people. I mean, granted, they have followings now, but it's still people who are just in the neighborhood who skate that work at that shop. And then the third thing is, like, James Jebbia, he says, I'm not a fashion designer. He's like, You're I not don't a... think, he's like, he'll say, he'll tell you, I'm not a fashion designer. Oh, right. He's like, we, we are, he's like, we are currently the fashion and fashion has come our way. He's like, I don't design fashion. They give him a fashion, he went up and did, they gave him an award at the CFDA and he's like, I don't know why you, Supreme's not a fashion brand. I don't know why you're giving me an award. We, we don't do design. Mm-hmm. We just we just articulate our values using clothes and using objects and using all of these other things. Right. Like and it's it just, design, you, but it's not fashion design in the classical sense. Right, right, right. Like that's not that's not even their focus. No, no, that's not mm. their focus. The opposite, the more and something that would be more in opposition to what we're doing would be something like an ever. Or something Ever. where it's like, where it's like you already have enough to think about. Here's a uniform. <laughs> yeah. Here's something in very muted, very staid. And look, that works for some people. People who like want to wear black all the time. People who only want to wear one color. People who don't want to think about what they're wearing. People who don't want to necessarily have a point of view on everything. People who just mm-hmm. want something that works for them in every situation and doesn't look too dissimilar. There are definitely people like that, and I very much respect that. Um, but that's right. the opposite. That's that is effectively the opposite of what we're doing. We want you to think for yourself. Right, right. And you're prov- you're like you're like providing one thing to be like this is something that you could do for yourself. Yeah, clothing. As I said, clothing is your first opinion. Like how you dress is your first opinion. Again, clothing you is can, your first opinion. Yeah, Whoa. not caring. I never not heard ca- that. Not not caring about clothes is also an opinion. <laughs> yeah. Or not caring about fashion that is also an opinion. I mean, it's the same thing as the it's the same thing as like being apolitical is a political viewpoint. Not caring about clothes is also an opinion. And your opinion is I don't care about clothes. That's all that is. Right, right. Yeah. So yeah. And so we yeah, so when you put on our stuff, that's that's you trying to articulate an opinion. What it is is you what it is and how you wear it and how you style it, that's yours. Thanks for listening to notes. I mean wasn't that great? If I do say so myself. <laughs> um, you can follow Mapate. Well, you can follow Diop, the brand, um, on Instagram at WearDiop. That's W-E-A-R-Diop. D-I-O-P. Um, that's it. Notes has a new... Ah, God, that's my alarm. Notes has a new uh, Instagram page just for the podcast. It's on instagram it's bears beats notes so if you want that and you don't want any of my food or anything from my instagram page you can follow me at carlos can't dance and the music and sound effects are done by bryson teal at bryson teal on instagram please leave the show a review please it's free five stars